Okay, so here we go. Part 16. We are going to finish the last couple of gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then we're going to move over into Ephesians chapter 4 and look at some roles that are defined in Scripture for the church. That's where we're going this morning. Um, I am going to press through this, and I'm going to try to walk this balance of um, being clear and giving plenty of time to explain each of these, but I'm also not going to camp out for a long time on one. We'll move, move through this fairly quickly. I really want to get through all of this content this morning. One thing I want to say in advance of that is something I mentioned several weeks ago. Next Sunday, we're going to slow down and talk a little bit more about the gift of tongues, prophecy, and a little bit about miracles and healing. Just some of those, those areas that are a little more spiritual, maybe they're a little more unknown to us, they're a little more mysterious, and just talk about the awesome stuff God's inviting us into and the healthy parameters he gives us to walk in this stuff um, individually and, and as a group, as a church family. So if I, if I mention some of this quickly this morning, it's because we're going to go a little more in depth next Sunday, all right? So that's where we're heading. Um, by way of reminder, if you, if you look through my notes, you can see all the passages that, that list all of these gifts. I want to read this morning the passage together that we're finishing up in 1 Corinthians. And so let's start by doing that. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to start reading in verse 8, but we're really going to be unpacking several that are in verse 10. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge. Those are words of wisdom or knowledge. We talked about those the week we talked about prophecy. They're given according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing, which is where we finished up last week, by the one Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. To another the working of miracles. That's where we're going to start this morning. To another prophecy. We, we unpacked that a few weeks ago. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, or some of you might have heard it said discerning spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. And so we're going to start with miracles this morning and then talk about miracles, distinguishing spirits, various kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Y'all ready? Yeah? Yes. All right. Here we go. Alex is ready. Awesome. Okay, so miracles. Now, the phrase there is actually working of miracles. It's two words that are put together in this passage. That word working, it means energy. In fact, very specifically, it means being energized by the grace of God. So this word working shows up in other places apart from miracles. It's not always directly connected to working miracles. They're just things we're invited to experience in our lives as followers of Jesus where we roll up our sleeves and get to work. And God's heart behind that is not in mustering up our own strength, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's being energized by his grace and presence. That's what this word working means. So some examples of that. Um, first of all, in this passage a little bit earlier, our first week when we talked about the gifts, we talked about how it's the same spirit working in all of the gifts. That's that same word. 
God's grace energizes us in all of the diversity of gifts that he invites us into, right? It's empowered by him. So that's one place where it shows up. Another place I thought was really cool is in Galatians 5, 6, Paul's talking about how easily we can lean on our own works of the flesh, our own righteousness. And he says, none of that counts for anything. What actually counts is your faith working in love. Your faith, energized by the grace of God, produces love. That's what matters. That's what God's after. So that's another example of that word. And then finally, kind of a familiar one to us, James 5, 16, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word effectual is this word working. So in other words, a prayer that's energized by the grace of God is effective. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Man, I, well, I could go off on a whole tangent about that, but I'm not going to. Let's keep moving. Okay, so that's the, that's the word working. Now, the word miracles. This word, the word that's behind it, the Greek word behind it is dunamis. It's kind of a root of where we get our word dynamite. It really means power. In fact, most often that word is translated in English power in the New Testament, I think it's like 71 times it's translated power. A handful of times it's translated as miracles. Um, sometimes it's translated as mighty or strength. The idea is the miraculous power, might, strength, force, ability. It's the ability to get stuff done. All right? It's, it's, it means you're able or you're capable. So taken together... What this passage is saying is that by the power of God, by the presence of God, we can be energized by his grace to be capable to see things done that we could not do on our own. That's what a miracle is. And so the ways that we see miracles show up in scripture, there's all kinds of ways. For example, in Luke 135, Mary is empowered. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon her for her to give birth to Jesus. So her simple, humble yes led to God's power showing up and providing the how. That's a, that's a big part of seeing the power of God show up in our life. Us humbly just saying, yes, God, you want to do this thing? I'll say yes to that. And he shows up with the know-how, with the ability to get it done. And so Man, that's how, that's how Mary came to be with Jesus. Um, Jesus himself walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, the scripture says. When he finished being tempted in the wilderness and he began his ministry, that verse that launched his ministry said he was walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same word. It's the same word. Um, we see it show up in some of the miracles Jesus did. Power goes out of him to heal the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that story? It's that same word. Miraculous power went out of him. Um, he gave his disciples power. There's a couple of, of scriptures in the Gospels where he's sending them out two by two to minister to people. And it says he gave them power to heal the sick, to cast out demons. It's that same word. So this operated in Jesus' life. In fact, ultimately... In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus told the disciples, don't go anywhere. Yes, I've given you this great commission to go and make disciples, 
to teach people to observe all that I've taught you, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've given you your marching orders, but don't go anywhere because you can't do any of that until you receive power. Same word from the Holy Spirit. Um, This same power is used by Paul to describe in Romans 15, 13, how we experience the life God has for us. He says when we receive salvation, we get joy, peace, and hope, and they're by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I don't know about you, but it has been a miracle at times in my life when I've been able to find hope where there doesn't appear to be any, where there's no outward reason to have hope, and yet I have some. It's by the miraculous power of Jesus. So so when you think about miracles, yes, there are big picture, unbelievable things that we can see God do. We can see him move mountains. We can see him heal the sick, raise the dead. Absolutely. But all of these ways that God works in our life to produce things that we can't do on our own, they are by the working of his miraculous power in our life. Does that make sense? You guys understand? Okay, I wanna give you one example of, of these words working together. Um, in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, Paul's writing and he's talking about God wanting us to have the ability to understand the depth and the height of his love and just how the mystery of the gospel and how huge and radical and beyond us his love is. And it's just this really classic passage where he's unpacking all this stuff God has for us. And he says the way that we're going to receive and understand the depth of his love is by this power, this power. God wants to show with power in your life for you to understand his incredible love for you and what that can look like in your life. So this is the gift of working miracles, seeing God's presence show up, energized by his grace to be capable of doing something that there is no way we can do it on our own. Man, I don't know about you. I need that till I get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) I need and want to walk in his miraculous power daily because I need it just to to be the guy he's calling me to be, to be the husband I want to be, the father I want to be, and ultimately to believe him to do unbelievable, miraculous things when and where they're needed. So that's working of miracles. All right, our next one this morning is distinguishing between spirits. The word distinguish there, it means discernment. Um, It literally means distinguish. I can tell the difference between this and this. I I can tell the difference between what black is and what white is. I can see the difference. Um, It means to judge or decide. It even means to be able to separate. So I can kind of look, look at something that may at first appear cloudy and have the ability to kind of see what's really going on through whatever cloudiness not, might be there. Discerning, distinguishing, recognizing. Distinguishing between spirits. Now that word spirit, um, it, it can be both mysterious and it also can be pretty grounded. Right on the mysterious side, it's, it's this idea of wind or, or, or breath or presence Obviously, like the Holy Spirit himself is a spirit. But it can also mean like the heart behind something. What is something at its core? What is its essence? What is the motivating, driving force behind something? And so 
For example, if I'm able to discern spirits, I can be in a situation where God, God gives me insight to see what's behind this. Is this something healthy? Is this something right? Is this good? Um, we're called, for example, to receive from other people wisdom, teaching, instruction. We're practicing that this morning. I'm up here teaching. Well, discernment is you being able to sit there and go, hey, I'm not rejecting this out of hand, but I'm also not just sitting here going, bah. <laughs> and behind everything Pastor Jake gets up and says, I'm listening with the spirit and presence of God and he can help me separate where something might be right, something might be wrong, and I can hear the truth. Um, one of the ways that we sharpen this is being in the word of God. In Hebrews 5.14, Paul well, somebody's writing in Hebrews, I think it's Paul. Somebody's writing in Hebrews and he's saying, hey, by now you should no longer be drinking milk. You should have matured in the faith. And he says, and having discernment. One of the best ways to develop the ability to discern what's going on is to know what's true. Feeding on the word of God is beneficial for a lot of things. One of the things it's beneficial for is developing a sense of, man, is this God here? Is, is this person listening to him, motivated by him? Is what's happening in this moment or this situation, is, is he doing this? Is he behind this? And so I have the ability to understand or discern because I've, I've fed on the word of God. And he's given me the ability to, to spot the difference between truth and error. We're called to discern ourselves. We looked at that when we were taking communion last Sunday. Self-examination, being honest about what's going on there, and he gives us wisdom to see that. We can discern prophecy um, is another example. Now, I thought this was interesting. You know, each of these words, um, I've really taken, taken my time over the last month to six weeks and just read all through Scripture. Where do these words show up? What's interesting about this word discernment is when it shows up in Scripture, of all of these gifts we're looking at, it's the only one that has a negative side to it. It's kind of strange, but this word will show up to also be used in the sense of someone who's doubting, someone who's doubting. And I think the idea there is there's a little bit of a warning to those of us who might walk in discernment that at, at times in our, our ability to discern right from wrong, we can become skeptical. And if we're not careful, we can too quickly write things off that we shouldn't be writing off. We should be open to what God is doing, what he's saying. I shouldn't be immediately closed off to something that's a little bit different than what's normal for me. And then I lean in and listen with a discerning spirit. Say, God, are you in this? Are you here? Um, for example, when Jesus was telling them, you can move mountains if you don't doubt. That's an example of it showing up as the word doubt. Um, a positive example where it shows up is that Abraham didn't doubt, but he believed when, when um, God promised Isaac. And in his old age, he chose not to doubt, but to choose to believe. Even though if he was discerning, <laughs> he would have looked at himself and Sarah and gone, there ain't no way. We're pushing 90, 100 years old. There ain't no way. But he saw past what his eyes could see and what he could discern as reality and see through that and trust what God was saying in that situation. And as a result, Isaac came, the son of promise. All right, so that's discernment. Okay, tongues. 
All right, I'm gonna do my best to unpack this relatively quickly. So first of all, the word uh, tongue here, it could mean either your literal tongue, like the, the organ in your mouth. It can also just mean speech or language. And that's how it's used pretty regularly in the scripture, speech or language. Now, there are a few different words in the New Testament that get combined with tongue, okay? One of them is in this passage where they, it says various kinds of tongues. This is a variety of tongues. The idea behind this, that word means kind, family, lineage, nations. The idea is we speak a lot of different languages, and so there are a variety of languages in the world, and God can give us the ability to speak different tongues. And it can be an actual, literal, just different language that you did not previously know. All right, Jesus mentions a new tongue when he says, um, you can check this out in Mark 16, 17, um, when he says, um, when I give the Holy Spirit, you'll, he'll show up and give you new tongues. That word new means fresh, unused, unprecedented, novel. All right? I, I believe this is one of the places in Scripture that's referencing speaking in an unknown tongue, in an unknown, prayerful, heavenly language. This shows up a few places in Scripture. Jesus talks about new tongue. That same word new that is used there is used to describe us in other places as, for example, a new creation in Christ a brand new version of us made new by him. Okay, and there's one other word. So there's various, there's new, and then Luke mentions other tongues. For example, in Acts chapter two, verse four, other tongues. That's literally the word heteros, which means different, opposite, not what's not normal, what you're not used to, of another kind would be another way to put it. And so there's various tongues, new tongues, other tongues. So what does all this mean? I want to give you just a, a simple baseline this morning and then just know we're going to unpack this in more depth next week, okay? A simple baseline. Number one, one of the gifts of the Spirit is to be able to speak a language that you never learned. You didn't go to school for, you didn't take... Two years of Spanish, and then, like, if you're like me, you don't remember any of it from high school. Like, th this is not something you've been trained in. It's, a, it's an ability that God gives you in the moment to communicate with someone that speaks a different language than you. This is actually what transpired on the day of Pentecost. If you go back and read the passage in Acts 2.11, when they come out of the upper room and they're talking in all these tongues, the people that had gathered for this festival had come from all over the world they were Jewish believers who had traveled to Jerusalem for this festival, but they lived in other parts of the world. And they're standing there going, I'm hearing this like redneck from Galilee speaking my language from my hometown. How's he doing that? They were speaking other languages. God used it to communicate the gospel message to this crowd. It got their attention. And then Peter got up and preached a gospel message that cut people to their hearts and the church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. God gave people the ability to speak a language they didn't already know in order to communicate the hope and truth of the gospel of Jesus. So God can give us that ability. Maybe you're on a mission trip sometime and you're in China and you haven't learned Chinese and you're just there to paint walls or 
you know, clean toilets or something. I don't know. You're just there kind of serving. I believe that God can give you the ability, if it's needed in a moment, to communicate with someone in a language you don't know, to communicate his hope, his truth. Um, I actually, I didn't experience this firsthand, but a good friend of mine, we were on a plane ride together coming home from a foreign country, and we didn't realize till later on in the flight, he'd been having a conversation with this woman all throughout the flight. And they're talking about Jesus, and I think he ends up praying with her and this whole thing. And this thing kept happening where when the flight attendant would come over, he just didn't seem to ever understand what the woman was saying. So he kind of found himself like, oh, she's saying this or whatever. And later in the trip, we realized she only speaks French and he only speaks English, and yet they spent hours on a flight together communicating the entire flight. Now, I have no idea if he started speaking French to her or if she just heard French as he was speaking English and then he was hearing English. I don't know how it worked. And what's cool about it is he didn't even know what was going on in the moment. He was just available to share God's love with this woman and God enabled them to have a conversation on this flight. So I, I believe this happened. So foreign language, okay. Additionally, there's unknown prayer language. We're gonna unpack this. If you wanna read ahead, read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Read through that before next Sunday. But there's an unknown prayer language and Paul describes kind of in detail that this prayer language is, is, is you and God, like you're communicating with him. And he gives only kind of one exception for that to be vocal amongst other people, where he says, when you gather together, if someone does pray in an unknown language, it should be accompanied by an interpreter. And we're going to get to that in just a second. And so there are times where God can miraculous give, miraculously give us the ability to communicate with someone where there's a language barrier. God can miraculously give us the ability to experience this unknown, new tongue, other tongue, prayer language with him. By his spirit, we can have that ability. And it's, it's meant for our intimate prayer time with him. And I also believe that in a corporate setting, as we'll look at more in depth next week, that that prayer language can be used as a part of something God wants to say to a group of people, as long as there's someone there to interpret. Make sense? Y'all with me? All right, if this is weird or new to you, I'll talk to you before next Sunday if you want, but hang in there and we'll talk more in depth next Sunday. Okay, so interpretation of tongues. This one's very straightforward. That word means translation or interpretation. It means the ability to hear this language and then there's a group of people over here that don't know that language, so you turn around and you tell them what just got said. That's what it means. Um, I, I've... One of the main ways I've experienced interpretation in my life wasn't interpreting tongues. It was preaching a message on a Sunday morning in the Dominican Republic. And we're in this, this like kind of stone, kind of like that, not stone, um, block, a block building, center block building on a Sunday. And man, it's tin roof, block walls, no air conditioning, middle of summer. Y'all tracking with me so far? I mean, the sun's just baking on the roof there. And we had this wonderful experience where the door that went out the back of the chapel opened up onto this little dirt road and right across the street was where a lot of cows were gathered in this small little pen where they lived always. 
And all the things they could produce were wafting into our chapel on Sunday morning. It was horrible. Like this memory just stuck in my head. So I'm up there and I think I have this short message. Like I think I've got, oh, I've got like a 15 or 20 minute message. This is no big deal. I'm not taking into account the fact somebody else has to sit here and say everything I'm saying in Spanish for the people that are there. And I get like 10 minutes in, I'm, I'm realizing this is way too long. I'm pouring with sweat. It stinks. I'm like, how do we get out of here? I was so grateful for our interpreter though, man. He just like unfazed by any of it, was like matching my passion level, seemed to be communicating well with everybody there. Um, but it's a gift to be able to do that. Like it's a gift to be able to carry not just the words that are being shared, but the heart behind it, the heart behind it. And so I believe God gives us the ability to interpret tongues and explain to people, here's what God wants to say right here. It's a really cool thing. So that's interpretation of tongues. All right, we did it. We made it through the gifts. Okay, we're gonna talk briefly about the roles that are found in Ephesians chapter four. So here we go, Ephesians four. I'm just gonna read this really quickly. Ephesians four, this is verse 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. There's five roles listed here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. For what purpose? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Okay, so number one, there are five roles listed here and they're for the purpose of equipping. That word equipping means to be complete. It means to be made fully ready. It even means to furnish. You know, imagine you're finishing a room and a house, you furnish it, now it's ready to be used. People can come in. These five roles are to equip the saints. These five roles aren't the end-all, be-all themselves. They serve a purpose to equip all of us for two things. Number one, the work of the ministry, the energized by God's grace, and the word ministry there, we already talked about. It's the same word as serving or deacon. So God has given the church people who step into roles to equip all of us to be energized by the grace of God to serve him, to serve his body and to serve others. And, and so the second part, not only are we being equipped for the work of the ministry, but for the building up of the body. These roles exist to make us strong, to make us united, to bring growth. Um, there are words that are a little more organic that identify with this, like growing. And then there's words that are a little more structural. There's an architectural component to this word building up. It literally means to structure it, give it the bones that hold it together. And so the idea is God has people in the church that are there to help all of us grow and be who he's called us to be and to be strengthened individually and united with each other and for us all to do the things God's given us the ability to do. Um, we, we are missing the mark if we think ministry is the couple people that get paid to do it. That ain't ministry. Ministry is all of the members of the body serving him, loving and serving each other, and doing the things God's called us to do in the world. That's ministry. We're all called to be ministers. 
there are certain roles within the church that are just there to go, how do I help you? How do I support you? How do I encourage you? How do I give you what you need to effectively be who God's calling you to be? How do I give us what we need to work together to be who God's called us to be as a group? Okay, so two of these roles we already talked about. I'm including them in my notes just so that for completeness, they're there. But we already talked about the role of a prophet and the role of the teacher several weeks ago when we talked about the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching. So the other three, let's talk about these briefly. The first one mentioned is apostle. Now, I meant to say this as well. There's a line of thinking, um, and I wouldn't get in a huge argument over this, but there is a line of thinking that these are listed in some order of ranking. I don't believe that personally. And there's a lot of folks that would agree with me. I just think this is a list of five roles. Now, I might be wrong. (laughs) I'm willing to admit that. But I think they're just a list of roles. There's other places where these show up and they're in a different order. Like, it's just, this is a list of, of the types of roles that people step into in the church. So I don't think this is a hierarchy necessarily. Maybe it is. But the word apostle shows up first. This word apostle, um, its meaning is a messenger or a delegate or an ambassador. It's one sent on a mission. It's one sent on a mission. Now, the examples of this in the scripture... We often think of apostles as the original 12. They're the 12 apostles. And that's right. Those are the initial ones that Jesus set up. But there were others who had this role within the church. Paul, as an example, is called an apostle. Barnabas is called an apostle. You can find that in Acts 14, 14. There are others listed in Romans 16, 7 and Philippians 2, 25. Other people that are listed as apostles in the scripture. In fact, Jesus himself is the ultimate apostle in Hebrews 3.1. An apostle is someone who is on a mission. They've been sent. They're a messenger. Now, to give us some framework in our kind of American way of thinking, the best way we could think of this is like an entrepreneur. An apostle is someone who launches out and starts a new work. In, In a ministry setting, it would be like a missionary or like a church planter. But I don't even mean just someone that planted like one church. Like I don't really necessarily consider myself an apostle, but someone who like their mission in life is that's what they do. They go around planting churches. They come into a place, they get a new work started, they see it get rolling, and then they are not the guy that should stay there for 20 years. They'll probably even get bored and impatient being there for 20 years. And so they get it rolling, and then there's other people, maybe shepherds that would come along and guide people for a long time. And the apostle goes, now I'm, I'm called here to launch a new thing. So it's kind of like an entrepreneur just to give us some framework. Um, okay, we're skipping profit because we've already talked about it. And so now evangelist. Evangelist means a preacher of the gospel. It means someone who brings good tidings. Um, this is a little outdated for us, but it's, it's like a herald. Somebody would just declare really good news. That's what an evangelist is. It's specifically someone who's bringing the gospel to someone who has never heard it or has never responded to it. Um, and so it's, it's very much someone who has a heart for reaching people who have not experienced the grace and love of God. That's an evangelist. They just, they have a heart for it. They love sharing the good news. This isn't just Um, a specific job title you can get. This is a person that just goes and does it. 
They find themselves sharing Jesus with people in the line at the grocery store. They love looking for opportunities to go out in our community and finding those people that get lost in the shuffle and just want to share the goodness and love of God. They share the gospel message of Jesus. And so that's an evangelist. An example of an evangelist is Philip. Philip is an example of an evangelist. Um, He's called that in Acts 21.8. And we see him practicing that in the really cool story in Acts chapter 8 where he's walking through the desert on the road and he sees the Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading Isaiah and doesn't understand what he's reading. He's like, I understand it and I can't wait to share the good news with you. And he leads him to Jesus. All right, that's an evangelist. Um, Timothy was instructed to do the work of an evangelist. And we see throughout the gospels this word of either evangelism or evangelist is used to describe Jesus and the early disciples in both the gospel and Acts. They were constantly preaching the good news. That's that same word, evangelist. All right, last one. Shepherd. Shepherd. The meaning of this word is what it sounds like. A shepherd or a herdsman, someone that that takes care of a flock. It means feeding the flock, like it's that direct. It means feeding them. It also just means, in general, tending, caring for, leading, protecting. Um, it's, you know, a great example is just read some of the stories of David when he was a young boy and he's out taking care of the sheep, right? Sometimes he's just kind of sitting there peacefully with them and enjoying life. Other times he sees a bear come and it's like, all right, time to roll up my sleeves and get to work and kill this bear. And he gets after it. Um, He might need to lead them. You could read Psalm 23, right? Where David is drawing from his own experience as a shepherd and then talking about how the ultimate shepherd leads us, leads us into new territory sometimes. Hey, the water was really good here. The fruit was really good here. What I was eating was great. No, it's time to go this way, but I want to stay right here. Nope. Time for us to move. A shepherd just sort of guides through situations in life. This word shepherd gets translated pastor. It's where we get the word pastor. Um, Truthfully, like this is one of the things that's just captured my heart. I I didn't know this until I was several years into ministry, but I began to realize like, wow, God, I think you made me this way. This is what I want to do. I'm not the guy that wants to go launch out a bunch of new things. Honestly, like coming here was sort of against my character a little bit. Like it was weird going to a new place and starting something new. I'm not this big like sales guy, get everybody fired up and excited. I feel like I'm more of just like a shepherd pastor, like hanging in there with people and and doing that role. And so that's what's in my heart to do. And by God's grace, I hope he gives me the ability to do that well. Um, You know, I I actually believe as an example, um, God calls all of us to shepherd relationships in our life. Man, if you're a parent, you're called to be a shepherd. You got to tend for the hearts of your kids. You got to know times when they need to be, you know, directed very directly. <laughs> and times where it takes some comfort and some gentleness and some understanding. We, we care for and tend to our kids. It's a really good example of, of being a shepherd. Um, okay, a couple of quick examples in scripture and we'll wrap things up. Um, Jesus is called the good shepherd. He actually says that about himself in John chapter 10, 11. We see him operate like a shepherd in Matthew 9, 36. You know the the story where he feeds 5,000? The start to that story 
is the scripture says he saw all the people and they were like sheep without a shepherd and he was moved with compassion. And so he began to teach and preach and then fed the 5,000. Um, some other examples, um, when Jesus is instructing Peter after Peter's denied him three times and they're reconnecting after Jesus' resurrection, he's talking to Peter and communicating love with Peter and he's kind of restoring him. The thing he says to Peter over and over again is feed my sheep. That word feed is this, the same word. It's, it's shepherding, it's caring for. He's saying take care of the flock. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 28 that their job was to shepherd the flock of God. Um, so we see this kind of show up throughout Scripture. All right, so there we go. Covered a lot of ground this morning. Y'all good? You got it? Okay, so I, I want to encourage you with two things this week, all right? In advance of next Sunday... I would encourage you to read three chapters. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that we've been studying. We've looked at Romans and Ephesians as well, but, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Just, just camp in those. We're going to focus a lot on chapter 14 next week, but I just have to tell you there is a reason that the Holy Spirit placed one of the, the most perfect encapsulations of what love is all about right smack in the middle of Paul talking about the church walking in the gifts. God knew we needed the gifts and they were designed and meant to show his love to people who need a touch of God's love. That is the heart behind the gifts. And so much of how things get out of balance and people, they get misused and people get hurt is either intentionally or unintentionally, we stop walking in love. We're not preferring others ahead of ourselves. We're not looking out for the best interests of others and we're kind of self-focused and that's when it gets out of whack. So read through those chapters. We'll talk about that in depth next week. My, my plan next Sunday is to teach for about 20-ish minutes. And I realize some of you might be smirking at me already. Um, but my goal is to do that and then actually leave some time for Q&A. I know it's not a typical thing we've done on a Sunday morning, but I want to leave some room for us to have some conversation. Um, no question is too dumb or too silly or anything. And so if you're reading this week and you already find yourself curious or if in listening next Sunday, you're like, man, I, I want some clarity here. Let's talk about it, okay? So we'll, we'll spend a little time in, in Q&A next Sunday, and then we'll wrap the whole series up the Sunday after that, all right? Cool, let me pray blessing over us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you just for who you are. Um, and then this morning especially, we thank you um, for the gifts that you give. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just say to you um, that we want your help and guidance. God, help us to not be ignorant of this stuff. Help us not to be fearful of this stuff. God, help us not to just ignore it. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would position ourselves in a place to understand what you have for us and to say yes to it, to say yes to it. God, I, I pray that each of us would be able to just reflect our own lives and say, God, is there somewhere here that you want to fan a flame in my life. 
God, is there a gift or two that you want to highlight to me that you've already given me that I can step into a little bit more? God, is there, is there a gift that I've been closed off to that maybe you're wanting to invite me to take a step of faith and trust you in it and see, see what happens? God, would you help all of us to receive your gifts and then operate in them rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus? God, we need you, we love you, we commit our hearts to you. It's in your name we pray this morning, amen.